Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. So here's the thing. Um, we're not gonna, don't you, I don't want you to raise your hand or say anything out loud, but uh, my hunch is that when Aaron encouraged us to raise our hands with that song, that um, somebody out there said, you're not the boss of me, right? <laughs> I don't raise my hands, I don't do that. Um, you know, it's church, church is solemn, church is serious, why would we do that? Um, but it, but the, the fact is that for centuries, uh, people have lifted their hands uh, in worship. Uh, the Psalms talks about, the scripture talks about, encourages us to, to raise our hands and surrender and in receiving, uh, that it's, it's part of what we do. And, and, and the irony of it all is that <clears throat> I have a hunch that some of you raised your hands at a football game last night and, and did it without thinking and we're proud of it and then you come to church and it's like, no, 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 we don't, we don't do that. So seriously, of course we do. Uh, and, and it's part of uh, our worship, it's part of, you know, but no, nobody's going around with a checklist saying, oh, you didn't raise your hand, so you're you know, clearly not you know, in the club. Uh, no, it's not that way, but it's a, sp- it's a spontaneous response to worship, to, to who Christ is, and, and so we do that. So some people do and some people don't, and it's okay uh, either way, right? Well, <clears throat> we, uh, we're gonna talk about that a little bit this morning because some of us get really content Um, or maybe at least we get used to uh, just sort of being on the sidelines. We get used to this idea that that I'm gonna let everybody else serve, I'm gonna let everybody else do stuff, and so we see all the things that Wes was talking about in the announcements, and feed my starving children, all the opportunities to come. Who doesn't wanna come and and man a a blow-up thing, obstacle course, right? That's awesome. But we're used to watching other people do things, and, and, and this morning we're gonna talk about what it means uh, to get engaged. What does it mean to, to get a little bit involved and to see what the Lord uh, can do? And, and so to help us, I, 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 my mind sort of went to a couple of guys that I remember well, and maybe some of you guys will remember a little bit, but I wanted to show them to you here. Ah, you hurt Kermit's feelings. So remember those guys? Remember those guys that used to be up in the balcony and and their job was to be cynical and to critique and then they never came down from the balcony. They were always way up there, uh, always the ones that critical, uh, always the ones saying things but never got into the game, never kind of joined everybody else but they loved to be up in the balcony uh, just criticizing, uh, talking about what they saw, what wasn't working, all of those kinds of things. And the reality is that a lot of us uh, in our Christian life, we're the balcony people, that we've gotten used to being in the balcony and we wax eloquent over what people aren't doing right. Uh, we can, we're experts on what they should be doing, but we're always up there just critiquing, just talking, just 
you, you know, maybe criticizing other people without ever coming down and getting into the game, without ever being really part of what is going on. Uh, we're just the critics, and, and we've turned this into an art form, right? We can, we can sort of critique anything. We'll critique church services, we'll critique events, we'll critique, critique music, whatever it is, but that we've gotten used to that, and we don't even realize anymore that we're up in the balcony and we're not having an impact, we're not having an effect, uh, we're just part of the audience, but we're the part of the audience that's always complaining, always talking. Well, you know, we looked at things, you know, I like this in our study in the book of Genesis. And one thing that really sticks out, if you read, go back and, and read those first 11 chapters of Genesis and then the bonus chapter, chapter 12, is that God was constantly calling people out of the balcony and into the game. He was constantly challenging people to leave their place of safety and comfort and get involved. And so we read the story of Noah and God called Noah to build an ark. Nobody knew what an ark was. Nobody had ever seen anything like it before. He was ridiculed. People made fun of him. And yet Noah builds an ark and God saves a remnant of his people uh, because of Noah's obedience. And then last week we talked about Abraham and, and God called Abraham and he said, Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to go to a faraway place, a place that I'm going to show you. He doesn't tell him where. He doesn't give him a map. He can't call Siri. He can't do any of those things. He, he, just, he just, has, he's just called to go. I know you don't call Siri, but you talk to her, whatever, you know, I don't know, she's there somewhere in your phone. Um, and she's really small, she has to be. Come on, seriously. Are you paying attention? But we, 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 we talk, you know, we do those things, that we, and we're called to get out of the balcony, we're called, we're reminded, and here's Abraham, and God calls him, and he leaves everything that he knows, he leaves his family, he leaves all of that, and he goes, and he's 75 years old, he hasn't had any children yet, and God says, I'm gonna make you the father of a multitude of nations, and he trusts God, and he goes, and we talk about what it means to go. And yet, we find ourselves, if we're not paying attention, we find ourselves in the balcony, and you can't stay in the balcony very long without becoming a little critical. And so this morning, God's gonna call us out of the balcony. This morning, we're gonna talk about what it means to get into the game, and we're gonna do that through looking at a passage of scripture, but before we do, I, I wanna give you one little quote from a book that I read that uh, I love by an author named Oz Guinness. It's called The Call, and listen to what Oz Guinness says. He says, as modern people, we have too much to live with and too little to live for. In the midst of material plenty, we have spiritual poverty. Did you catch that line? We have too much to live with and too little to live for. And God calls us to something greater than that. He calls us to something bigger than that. So we're gonna look at Acts, the second chapter this morning. One of the great stories, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament about how God calls us and how he calls us out of the balcony. Now, if you, if you look at the book of Acts and you read the first chapter and then you begin the beginning of the second chapter, you see the story unfolding about the birth of the church. And Jesus told his disciples in, in Acts 1.8, he says that, that when the spirit comes, uh, my spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses in <clears throat> Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
It's gonna be by my spirit. It's gonna be my strength that you do it, but you're gonna be my eyewitnesses of what I've done. And then there were 120 people and they were in this upper room and and God had called them to pray and they were praying and his spirit came and they were transformed and they go out and Peter, the fisherman Peter, uh, with no formal training, with no educational background, probably illiterate, Peter goes out and he preaches his first sermon and yes, I have a little preacher's envy. He preaches his first sermon and 3,000, more than 3,000 people respond. And the church is born. And now you have these 11 disciples, and again, mostly illiterate, no formal training, nothing that would prepare them. There's not an MBA in the whole group that can tell you how to structure and how to organize people and and how to put them in groups and how to do all of that. There are no seminars on, on, on building a church. There's nothing that they have that prepares them for this except that they had been with Jesus. And when push comes to shove, if you take all the rest of that stuff, I'll take being with Jesus over any, anything else. They'd been with Jesus. And so what happens, it comes out, it is shown to us in, in Acts 2, beginning in verse 42, that they have all of these people, and what do you do with them? How, how do you help them figure out, how do you help them learn what's just happened to them? Because they had over 3,000 people respond, they were all baptized that day, and then there are four things that they do. Let's look at Acts 2.42, it says this, and they devoted themselves, referring to all of these people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The first thing that you notice is the word they. It's not an individual thing. They devoted themselves. The language there is continually devoted. So what were they continually devoted to? They, as a group, all of them together, were continually devoted to four things. Now here's the first big question this morning for us. Think about your life. Reflect back over last week. What are the things in your life that you're continually devoted to? What are you continually devoted to in your life? Is it work, is it relationship, is it comfort, is it security? What is it that you're continually devoted to in your life? Maybe it's as simple as TV, something else. What are you continually devoted to in your life? It's a challenging question for us if we really get honest with ourselves and reflect on what I'm continually, what are you continually devoted? You may not, you may not be thrilled with your answer or what you see, but here they were continually devoted to four things and the very first thing that he talks about is they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now again, think about who, who they were. They're continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. They had the Old Testament. Most of that was p- passed down uh, to them orally uh, because they couldn't read. So they heard the stories of Noah. They heard the stories of Abraham. They, they heard the stories of Joseph, all the stories of the Old Testament. They had memorized parts of the Old Testament as they grew up, as they went to the synagogue. But what they knew was what they had heard. And now the disciples are telling them the stories of Jesus. They're telling them how Christ came, how he was born in a manger. Uh, They're telling him how he taught and and how he healed people and how he loved people and they're talking about parables and they're teaching them everything that they can about Jesus because more than anything else, they want them to know Jesus. They want them to intimately know who Christ is. It's always about Jesus. It's always centers on him. It's always about lifting him up. And so they were continually devoted to the apostles telling them about Jesus about his life, about how he loved, about how he cared, about how he taught, all of those things. 
about how they were with him and how often they were with him and a storm would come and, and Jesus would be there in the middle of their storm. How people didn't have enough food to eat and Jesus provided that food for them. And all of these stories are getting planted in their hearts about Jesus' love and his generosity and his caring and his power for them and what he had done. And they're hearing the stories of Jesus. They're learning about Jesus. They're falling in love with Jesus. And then it says they're continually devoted to the fellowship. The, 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 the fellowship talks about something that people have in common. And what do they have in common? Jesus. They've come for a feast uh, into Jerusalem at this time. There are people from all over, people in different languages and customs and, and, and keep people from different backgrounds and yet here they are and they hear Peter and they hear him in, in their own language and they respond to the gospel and all of a the sudden they have this in common that they believe in Jesus and they're continually devoted to the apostles' teaching and they're continually devoted now to coming together, to being together in a community and a community of faith and a community of followers of Jesus. That's what they're doing and they're doing it consistently and constantly they're becoming a church and we're so shaped by our individualism that we think so often that it's about us but think about what's going on here that they were they were learning together they were doing all of this out of community you see we've sort of bought into this idea that, you know, get up at 5.30 and read your Bible for 15 minutes and then pray for 15 minutes and, and I have to do this on my own, I have to do it by myself and, and it's about me and it's about my discipline, my devotion, all those things and, and here are all the things that I have to do. But you know how they started? They started together. All of this was happening together. No, those things aren't bad. We, we should do those things, but they learned how to do them in a group. They learned how to do them in community, and they did it because of who Christ was. And let me just tell you about this. That, you know, we can, some of you might even be feeling guilty that, well, I don't, I don't, I don't even read my Bible for 15 minutes. I don't pray for 15 minutes. Uh, I don't do any of those. Those are so, things are so hard for me. But here, I talk to people all the time in the church, and do you know what? If, if you're in charge of um, teaching seventh and eighth graders this morning, you're probably gonna read the Bible this week. You're, you're gonna get ready for it. You're gonna be motivated to open your Bible and study it. Uh, otherwise, you're gonna be scared to death that, that some seventh grader is gonna ask you a question and you have no idea what they're talking about or you're, you're coming in completely unprepared and you want motivation, then make a, a commitment to teach somebody else and all of a sudden you are motivated. You see, because they were coming together. They were hearing the apostles teaching and then they would gather together in groups and they would talk about what they had learned and they would talk about how to apply it to their lives and, and what does this really mean and how do we live this out together? How do we live this out in this community? I have a couple of pictures for you. Uh, this is the first, the, uh, the Solomon's portico. This is where it would all start, that, that they would meet on the eastern side of the temple. And if you see on the left side, those archways, uh, that's called Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. Uh, and the, the open area in there was called the court of the Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, that was the only place that you could go. You were allowed that far, but you weren't allowed any deeper uh, into the area of the temple. There was, the, uh, there was a court for everybody, and the, the more you were involved, the more you were Jewish and male and all those things, the deeper you could go uh, in uh, to the temple, but that's where they would teach. And then we have another picture that kind of gives an artist's rendering of what it might have looked like uh, when the apostles were teaching because there would be thousands of people there listening to the stories. 
And then they would go from there into homes and, and other places and they would talk about what they just learned and how they could apply it to their lives and what it really meant to them. And so they're learning all of this together because they, they knew that they had, to, they had to live this out someplace, some way. And, and the way to do it was to go together in the strength of each other and to share in those things together. Well, after they, after they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, one of the most interesting things that says, and they were completely continually devoted to the breaking of bread that they would break bread together. What an interesting idea. They would come together and they would talk about what they had heard and they would talk about Jesus and, and what they were learning and how they could apply that to their lives and what difference that made to them. And then while they were together, usually while they were having a meal together, they would have communion, they would break bread. And isn't that horrible? They were doing, they weren't in church, they didn't have a, you know, somebody like me to administer it, to tell them what to do. They would just do it on their own. Actually, that's awesome. Actually, it's the way it really was supposed to happen. They were together in fellowship. They were there in the name of Jesus. They were there loving each other and growing together. And every time they got together to have a meal, they wanted to be reminded of what Jesus had done. They wanted to be reminded that it was still centered on Jesus because the whole point of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And they didn't want to ever forget that. They didn't want to ever lose the power of what it meant to belong to Jesus, that Christ came down. The God of the universe loved them so much that he poured all of himself into a human body and he gave everything that he had. He gave it all for them. And every time they got together, every time they broke bread together, they were reminded of the gospel that Christ came for them. He gave himself for them. He gave everything for them. And we don't want to ever forget that everything we believe and everything about who we are is built around Christ's love and his sacrifice on a cross for us. You see, we, we can get really good at being a Christian and leave Jesus behind somewhere, Right? I mean, you can really get good at being a Christian. You can really be good, you know, get good at, you know, coming to church and, and I say open to Genesis and you know right where it is and you go there, you know, you get there first. Uh, you win the Bible trivia contest, you know. You can get really good. You know what to say. You know how to talk. You know how to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, present yourself in front of other people at church. You, you can get really good at being a Christian, but you, don't, but you leave Jesus way back. And here's what they b- believed, that we never leave Jesus behind. It's not about how good we act or how well we talk or how much we know, but it's about a personal relationship with the God who gave everything for us. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about our lives being built on the truth of who he is and what he's done for us and everything centers on that. And so when they would come together with the, for the apostles' teaching and then they would have the fellowship and they would break bread together, it was centered around who Christ is and they would, they would never, ever want to forget that truth. That's why we talk about this so much in here. That's why we say things like we preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we want to remember that it's about Jesus, that he's always the center He's always in the middle of what we do. He's the one that's changed our lives. It's not our ability to say the right things or do the right things, but it's who Jesus is in our lives. So the fourth thing, the fourth thing that they, they were continually devoted to were the prayers. And I love this because prayer is so hard. In fact, a pastor told me once that if, if prayer wasn't so important, it'd be easy. Everybody would do it, right? 
But it's hard because it's so important. It's so central to who we are. And you know how they learned how to pray? Together. Yeah, they, they had some psalms. They had psalms and they, they had some beginnings. And, and then the disciples, when they taught them, they said, here's the model that Jesus gave me. Our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Pray like that and let's try it together. So they began to pray together. The model that they had was praying in community, praying in relationship with each other, praying as a group. And that's how they learned to pray. How, how do we learn to pray? We got our grandsons with us this week. And, and last night at dinner, uh, they prayed over the meal. And I was sitting there thinking, how do you learn that? How do they learn to pray like that? That was unbelievable. It was so wonderful. Well, they learned to pray like that around the table with their mom and dad and, and other people that loved them. That's how they learned to pray like that. Hey, you don't read a book on prayer at five and a half. Somebody shows you how to pray. And we don't learn to pray by just reading a book, but we learn to pray when we pray with others. That's how we pick it up. That's how we learn it. You know, one of the reasons that we're so bad at prayer is because we've never learned to pray with other people. We've never been tutored in a group by other people. We've always thought it was about an individual decision, an individual thing that we, that we do. And, and we do pray privately, we do pray individually, but we learn to pray together. And so we have this huge group of people and they were continually devoted to those four things. If you wanna know what you give your life to in discipleship, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Begin those things, but understand that we do those together. That's why we have small groups. That w that's why we, we try to do things in community together because that's how we learn the best. Uh, that's, what we, that's, how we, uh, that's how we develop our lives in Christ through those four disciplines is doing it together. And so here's what's remarkable. If we want to reach the world, if we want to really have an impact on the world, it, it's, it's not gonna happen by how eloquent we are. It's gonna happen by how transformed our lives are. And let, let's look at Acts 2, 43. It says this, and through 47, it says, and an awe came upon every soul all over Jerusalem. It says, and many uh, wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here's what they did. It's a pretty powerful thing. That something that we like to call spontaneous generosity took place. That it says an awe came upon everybody. They saw what had happened. And, and there were things going on. There were miracles happening around the apostles and there were some pretty spectacular things going on. But in the middle of that, there was this huge group of people, people that shouldn't have known any better, but all of a sudden they had this relationship with Jesus. All of a sudden they were learning of what it meant to be a follower of him. All, all of a sudden they were saying, hey, do you don't have a place to go? You're from out of town. Why don't you come, at my, come to my house and have dinner? Or, or somebody who didn't have food, somebody that was in need or didn't have a home, and they were inviting them 
him in, and it wasn't about living a communal lifestyle. We worry about those things. It was about saying, look, I have two shirts. You don't have one. How about you just take one of mine? I'll be okay. And they were doing it not because somebody made them. They were doing it not because they had just gone to a seminar on giving. They did it out of a spontaneous uh, generosity that came from experiencing the Jesus that gave them everything. The Christ who didn't, who didn't keep anything back. He didn't hold anything back, but he gave his whole life for them. And when you've been loved like that, when you've experienced that, you want to do something. You want to share something. What do I have that I can give to somebody else because I've been given everything through Christ? And they began to share all that they had. Uh, They began to share everything. And there was nobody in need. Because if they saw somebody that had a need, they would say, hey, let's figure out how to meet that need. Let's figure out how to take care of those people because they had this fellowship. They had this in common. And and we try to live that out as best we can. Uh, You know, when we we do a shoebox of of toys for a child that's gonna go around the world. We're just doing that in the name of Jesus. We're, we're not doing it because uh, somebody's making us or uh, hopefully we're not even doing it out of guilt, but we're doing it because Christ has given us everything. He's given us life. We've been redeemed by him. What, what wouldn't I give for that? How, why wouldn't I want to share out of my life when I've been given all of that? And, and, and so we do. Or, or, you know, this year, later on, we're going to buy shoes for an orphanage in, in Tanzania for these little kids that don't get shoes unless we provide them, right? And, and you're going to step up and, and do it because you really don't want me to get up and remind you because I just blubber when I do that because it's the hardest thing in the world for me to imagine kids that don't get shoes unless we give them to them unless we provide them. And we don't do it because we have to. You might do it because I don't want to see Pastor Larry. I don't want to see him like that. But other than that, we do it because we've been given everything. Because the love of Jesus in our lives, and we get to do it together. We'll take a team of people to Guatemala, and we'll dig a well for a village that's never had fresh water in the history of that village. I mean, that's just, I can't even wrap my arms around it, and I went on one of the trips, and it's still hard for me to imagine that, that you could grow up in a village and never have fresh water, but we get to take a group of people, we get to go as a community, and we get to dig a well for them and tell them about Jesus, and we get to do it together, and we get to all participate in a variety of ways together in providing that water for a place that's never had it before. Or you can show up on the 23rd on Sunday, and uh, you can spend an hour with, you know, uh, holding a baby or a little one and care for them. And it's not because you do it out of obligation, but you do it out of love and, and bring a friend, bring your old smog or bring a, you know, your neighbors, I don't care, but do it in community, do it with some other people. And we do it in the name of Jesus. We do it in community. We don't do it out of obligation or guilt. We do it because we've been given everything. All of these things. Feed my starving children is one of those great things because you take a group, you know, and you go and you have your own table, and I love having my own table. Thank you. And you're packing all of these meals for people, and there may be a table next to you that are other people from north. They have their own table, but our table will pack more food than their table. Promise. And it's just fun. And you make new friends, and you get closer together, and you have that experience, and you know that you're feeding children who need food. Oh my goodness, how do we not do that? 
How, how do you pass when you've been given everything through Christ, when we have life in him? That's what he's called us to do. What are you continually devoted to this morning? Here from verse 46, it says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. Gladness and generous hearts. Here's, Here's the quote for us. Thankful people are generous people. So I don't want to tell you to be generous. I'd rather tell you to be thankful because the result of being thankful is that you'd want to be generous. You want to share. You want to give how the Lord's blessed you. Philippians 2, verses three and four say this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. How do we treat each other? We look after each other's interests. We care about each other. We serve each other in the name of Jesus that way. John 13, 34, some of you are so tired of hearing me talk about this one because I love this verse. John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Now, if you're churchified, you would say, Larry, I, I got that one, I know that, I know that. Love one another, I've loved you. But I just made that word up, thank you. Um, but if you've grown up in the church and you know that, but then here's what Jesus says. He says, no, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you. And that should catch our breath, right? That should stop us dead in our tracks. That here's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, I want you to love one another. But I want you to love one another like I've loved you. How did Jesus love you? How does he love you? He gave everything for you. He gave everything for me. He died on a cross for me. And now he says, that's where the bar is. And if you really think about that, if you really take it serious, you have to say, oh my goodness, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. Here's what I would say. Get with a group of people and say, I don't know how to do that. Can we do that together? Can we figure out how to love one another like Jesus loves us? And figure out how to do it together and know it's gonna be hard and and know we're not always gonna like it and know that there's times it might make us uncomfortable, but that's what he's called us to do and and I'm a follower of his and I wanna love people the way Jesus has loved me. So can we figure out how to do that together? Let's take a shot at that. Galatians 6, 2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what does it look like to be continually devoted to something? You probably already know, it's not just something that you wanna talk about or, or, or it's not just something that might even surprise you. But we are continually devoted to the things that we love. And this always challenges, what do I really love? What really matters in my life? What, what are my priorities? What makes a difference? You know, practically speaking, we all have different friends, different kinds of friends, right? We have friends who build us up, and we have friends that we build up, and then we have friends that just drain us, right? And we have all of the above. We, we all do. And yet, I just, you can't live with just one kind of friend. If we just try to be with people that build us up, we're gonna be in the balcony sooner or later. If we try to just live with people that we build up, then it becomes about us and how important I am and, and look what I'm doing. And if you just live with people that drink, you're gonna cry a lot probably, gonna sit in a dark room somewhere by yourself. We need all of those friends together. 
We need all of them. God uses all of those people in our lives. We need people who build us up. We need people that we're building up and we recognize the fact there will always be people in our lives who drain us. But how? How do we live in community together? How do we experience that together? Because God uses all of them. And we break bread together to make sure that Jesus is always in the middle of everything that we do. It's out of community that we become sensitive to the needs of other people because it often starts with those people we're in community with. How do I serve them? How do I meet those needs? So that's why here at North we have a shepherd's fund that that really just serves the North family. Somebody's in a crisis, we wanna respond, we wanna figure out how to serve them. Uh, Somebody's been in the hospital, we got a whole bunch of people that make meals and we'll serve them that way. We, We wanna figure out how to serve this family and how we serve each other. How do we live in community? How does that come about? All of those things matter to us. And as we've talked as a staff team about where God might be leading us, there's some other things that we really feel like God wants us to do. In fact, some of this, uh, we really want you, all of this actually want you to be part of. For example, for the next two or three years, we'd like 200 more people from North who've never been on a missions trip to go. To go to Guatemala and dig a well. Uh, to, to, to go uh, you know, to Tanzania and serve at the orphanage, to, to go someplace and, and be part of what God's doing in other people, places because you know what, they're, we're all in this together. That those little ones in Tanzania, they're part of our family because we share Jesus in common. We, we belong to him and they're our kids. We can never get away from that. We can't ignore them. We, we can't turn our heads away from them. They're ours. Those, those kids in Tanzania, those kids in Guatemala have never had water. Uh, those kids that we're sending box, shoe boxes to, all of those, those kids we're buying shoes for, they're all ours. They belong to us. We can't get away. We can't ignore them. They're part of our family. They're, they're part of who we are. So there's another group that we're gonna get involved with here. It's called the European Leadership Forum. And, and last May, I went to Poland, of, of all places, and and there was this little conference and I met all of these young pastors who are trying to plant churches in Eastern Europe. Because the church died in Eastern Europe when the communists came in and took over. And there's these big cathedrals all over the place that are sit empty and decrepit and there's nothing there. And, and so this group said, let's figure out a way to help plant churches in the place where the churches died. And so we, we help these young folks, uh, men and women, who are, who are serving in various ministers, uh, ministries to, to, to plant churches. And so far, we planted 200 churches in Eastern Europe. And when I go, I'll, I spend every meal meeting with a young pastor, just talking through how to care for your family, how to stay healthy in your own walk with Christ, uh, what are some needs in your church, and we do that, and, and then we do workshops, and we share with them, we talk with them, we just try to care for them and, and support them and encourage them what they do. I, I got an email last week from a young pastor in the Ukraine that just wanted to process and talk, and so we'll do that through the course of the year, but we wanna get more involved. In fact, they would love to have people from North go just to, to serve. They have everything from, from registration to the bookstore that they run to all the things that you can go and just be part of that and and work there and serve. The thing I loved about it the most was that none of the speakers, including myself, you get paid for being there. You just go for Christ's sake and for the community and for the kingdom. And you you pay your own way and you go and you serve and you do your thing and and God uses it. Uh, Because I met with one pastor the whole week that I was there who gets paid to be a pastor. Every other young person there has one or two more jobs on the outside because their church isn't big enough or, or wealthy enough to pay them to actually do it. So they, they pay their own way and then they pastor a church. 
And we can help them because they're part of our family. They belong to us. And so we, we want to do that. We want to figure out more ways that we can partner with people like that that are serving in the kingdom. And then let me just say something about the Christmas festival because here's something that happened in Acts uh, 2.47. It says, praising God and having favor with people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here's the thing. Without doing any evangelism seminar, without having any tracks, without showing any videos about how to lead a person to Christ or talk to somebody about Jesus, these people had thousands more people coming to Christ every day because they were living in community because what they were doing and sharing the love of Christ because of how their lives had been transformed. People were watching and they were saying, how do we get in on this? How do we get part of that? We've never seen anything like it. This is the most real, the most authentic, the most powerful thing that we've ever seen and we want in. And people were coming all over the place to be part of the church, to become followers of Jesus because of the transformed lives that they saw. And so when we do a Christmas festival, it's really fun, and we go to a lot of trouble, and we work really hard, but it's also an opportunity for people to come and to rub shoulders, maybe people outside of our church, maybe people who had never darkened the door of a church to come and rub shoulders with people who've been transformed by the love of Jesus. That would be you. That would be us collectively, that we have an opportunity to be Jesus. So we we do this because it's great for our family, but we also do it because it's an opportunity to invite people to experience Jesus in a community, to see lives that have been transformed by the love of Jesus and be part of that. And then we're doing something really interesting. I don't know if you've noticed, but Christmas Day is is actually on a Tuesday this year, which means if back it up, Christmas Eve is on a Monday. The 23rd of December is a Sunday. So we've got church on Sunday. We've got Christmas Eve services Monday night. We wanna, have, we wanna do something really special for all of that. So Sunday morning, the 23rd, we got kids singing and kids play. And we got kids stuff going on uh, all over the place. So it would be a fun morning to have families come that, that maybe don't go to church and would see uh, something, see children who are expressing you know, faith in Christ and see all of that happening around them. And then Christmas Eve, we'll do our big Christmas Eve services with the candles and all this stuff that we do and it'll be really special but it's an opportunity to invite people to rub shoulders with folks who are in love with Jesus to be part of that contagious relationship that we have as a community with Christ to experience people whose lives have been transformed and we get to do that it's not just about having a Christmas Eve service and let me just give you a hot tip it's just not about picking Sunday or Monday it's about which one should we invite people to and, I mean, how do we inv- and who do we invite to this one and who do we invite to that one because they're gonna be different. But it's an opportunity we have because of who Jesus is. It's not, a, it's not an obligation, it's a gift because of who Christ is in our lives. So what are you continually devoted to this morning? My encouragement is that maybe God calls you out of the balcony and God says, I've got some things for you to do but I want you to do them together. I want you to do them as the family. I want you to do them, share them in common because of who Christ is, because of what he's done for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the picture that you give us out of Acts 2. Lord, thank you that, that you held nothing back for us, that you gave everything that you had for our sake. And Lord, forgive us when we take that for granted. Forgive us when we don't appreciate that. Maybe we've heard it so many times, we're, we're so used to it that it doesn't have the same meaning for us anymore. Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts this morning and remind us of your love and your sacrifice, the gift that you gave us on the cross. 
And then, Lord, the power of your resurrection to transform lives. And, Lord, all of that is part of who you, who you are and what you've given to us. So, Lord, I pray as a family, as a community of faith, that you would challenge us, encourage us, call us out of the balcony into your work and your service. It's for your sake, and it's for your kingdom. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. prayer partners in the corner there. If you'd like prayer this morning, I would encourage you to stop by. They'd love to pray with you and and for you. And also a prayer table. And look, um, if you're new, it is okay to write down a prayer request. We love that. And uh, if you put your email address or phone number or something, we'll we'll, uh, reach out to you. If you don't, then it's good. We'll just pray for you. And, And as a staff, we start that first thing on Mondays. We pray through all those requests. And we have a whole prayer team that prays for those during the week. And and um, I just take those and we pray on Mondays and I stick them in my journal and, and uh, keep praying for you guys all week. So it, it's a great privilege to, uh, to do that. So take advantage of, of those things. And my, my prayer this morning is, is just simply that uh, we would experience Christ in a different way this holiday season, uh, that we would experience him together in community and what it's like to be continually devoted uh, to the teaching of Jesus Uh, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and what Christ might do through us if we all hop out of the balcony and serve them together. So that's my prayer for us. Uh, I hope you guys have a great week. I love you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.